Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you are such a gracious God. And we thank you, Lord, that your word ministers to our hearts and our lives today. And we just pray, Father God, as we go through your word tonight, that each one of us would just be prepared to receive from you. And Lord, that even though the text may be repetitious from chapters, uh, 11 chapters ago, Lord, we know that it's in your word twice for a reason. And Lord, that it has application to each person here tonight. So Father, may you be our teacher. And Lord, may man decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, the... Last week we looked at, began to look at the tabernacle furnishings. We've been going through the tabernacle, and last week, if you got your little paper here, we looked at four items in the tabernacle. We looked at the Ark of the Covenant, and we talked about the fact that that's in the most holy place, and the Ark of the Covenant is a type or a picture of the cross. It's where the Shekinah glory of Almighty God would dwell. And you can see that picture there. It's got two angels on each side, and it was carried with poles. And remember, we talked about the fact that it was always to be carried in a certain way, and that no man was ever to touch it. And the reason is that we're never to touch the glory of God. And that, that Ark of the Covenant was in that most holy place, and only the great high priest would go in once a year to make atonement for the people, for the sins of the people. No other man ever went in. And again, it's a picture of what only Christ can do for us. Then we also looked last week at the altar of incense. The altar of incense, if you look on the back side, as you come out of the holy place, the altar of incense is the, is the furnishing closest to the holy of holies. And again, that's a picture as every furnishing in the, in the um, tabernacle is, the picture of Jesus, because where is Jesus right now? Where is he? Seated at the right hand of the Father, and what is he doing? He's interceding for us. And the altar of incense is a picture of intercession. It's a picture of what our Lord is doing for us. Because they would burn incense that would go into that most holy place. And it was an offering up of prayer. It was a picture of prayer. We also saw last week the golden lampstand, which is again a picture of Christ because he is the light of the world. Amen. And only through him can the world be illuminated that walks in darkness. And we also saw the table of showbread, which is a picture of of the, the fact that He is the bread of life and that He is our provision. And we saw that very clearly on Sunday. Amazing how God works things out. We talked about the bread of life last Wednesday night and then we looked at the bread of life in John chapter 6 on Sunday morning, God's perfect timing. So this morning we're going to look at, the, at two more pieces that are in the, the uh, tabernacle itself, actually outside of the, in the tabernacle outer court. And as we look at the outer court tonight, we're going to look at the, burnt, the altar of burnt offering we're going to look at the bronze laver. We're going to look at the court, again, itself, and then the materials that go into the tabernacle. And we'll see that as we move further and further away from that most holy place, the further away that we get, we're going to see that these objects become less and less um, precious in the kind of stones that are being used, and they're less and less complex. So you go from the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies to the lampstand, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense, and now we're going out into that actual outer court itself, and we're going to look at the things on the outside of that most holy place. So again, if you're looking at this, you see the, the big tent, the little tent inside the middle, and that's the holy place and the Holy of Holies, and the two things we're going to look at tonight are the two things that you would see as soon as you walked into the tabernacle in that outer court, and we're going to look at those tonight. So let's begin in verse 1 by looking at the altar of burnt offering. And he says, he made an altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. Five cubits was its length, five cubits was its width, it was square, and its height was three cubits. So this is the altar, again, this will also be a type or a picture of the cross. 
And the reason that it is, is it's a place of sacrifice. When you would walk into that that tabernacle, you had to enter in. There was only one entrance in. We'll talk about the significance of that in a minute. There's only one entrance into the tabernacle. It's at the very front here. And as you walked in, the very first thing you would see is this altar of burnt offering, and you could not miss it. It was literally seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet by four and a half feet. And so you would walk in as a worshiper into the courtyard, and right in front of you, there would be sacrifices being made. Because sacrifices were made on this altar of burnt offering continually. And so you would walk in and you would see these offerings being made and you would smell the aroma that would come from these offerings. Now, it's again an illustration that no one can approach God except by sacrifice. We cannot come near to that most holy place. We cannot draw near the holy of holies unless first there must be sacrifice to bring sinful man into the presence of holy God. Impossible otherwise. You can't get there by being good enough. You can't get there by your good works or your your great attitude or anything else. You can't be positive enough. There's the only way that sinful man can approach holy God is through a holy sacrifice. So as they walked into that courtyard, it would be right in front of them. The priests would be gathered around it. The smoke would be billowing up into the sky. And it would be very clear that there must be a sacrifice to pay for the sins of man. Now it's interesting that right beyond it, we'll look at this in a minute, is the bronze laver, the place of cleansing. And only after the altar of burnt offering, only after sacrifice is there cleansing. Only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ can there be the cleansing of our sin. There's no other way, there's no other path, and there's no other hope. Again, this big huge piece of furniture that every person that walked into the tabernacle, the first thing that they would see, verse 2. He made its horns on four corners, and its horns were of one piece with it, and it was overlaid with bronze. Now remember that all the articles in the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place were made out of what? Gold. Gold representing what? Deity. The fact that God is holy. The deity of God pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ himself is God, as we will later obviously be revealed in the New Testament. Bronze, as we've been going through this, is a picture of what? Remembers. Judgment. Okay? And we'll go in that in just a minute. So we see here that these horns were made of bronze, a picture of judgment. And what they did with these horns is they would tie the sacrifice down using these horns so that sacrifice wouldn't get up and run away. They would tie it down so as they were slitting its throat it would not move. It would stay in place. Now it's interesting that there were four horns that that they would, on the Day of Atonement, they would literally sprinkle blood on these horns as well. As they made sacrifice, they would take the blood and sprinkle it on the horns. And we know that our Savior, that He was tied up in Gethsemane when He was arrested. And then later upon the cross, He was nailed to the cross. So very much as these horns that tied down the sacrifice were covered in blood, so too were the nails of our Savior as His hands were pierced, covered in blood. Now the difference here is that those animals were tied down that they might not escape. And we know that the, that the Lord, he, his hands were tied, his, he was tied up in Gethsemane as they arrested him. We know that he was nailed to a cross, but let me just tell you right now, there's no rope and there's no nails that could hold our Savior anywhere. Amen? What, him, what held him to the cross was not the, the, the nails in his hands or the nails in his feet. It was his love for the people in this room. He's Almighty God. He could have called the, the angels down out of the sky. He could have spoken the word and just wiped everybody out. But what held him there in the midst of all the mocking and the pain and the suffering that he went through was the fact that he thought about us and because he loves us so much. 
While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? And so, again, a picture of the cross as these horns are there on this, this place of burning um, these sacrifices unto the Lord. And again, they were covered on the Day of Atonement with, with blood, a picture of what would happen to Christ. Verse 3. So he made all the utensils for the altar, the pans, the shovels, the, the um, basins, the forks, the fire pans, all its utensils he made of bronze. Again, bronze speaking of judgment. And here's some examples why. When Samson had gone straight to God's will and he had been placed into um, bondage, basically, basically, he'd been taken into captivity, what he was bound with was bronze or brass fetters. Goliath, it's interesting, he had a, a huge helmet, weighed a lot of pounds. How much, and you know what kind of helmet he had? A, bra, a, a, a bronze or a brass helmet. Now, it's interesting to me that moments later, that brass, brass or bronze helmet was filled with his head. And it wasn't on his body anymore, right? And so we saw God's judgment. He was protecting himself with it, but God brought judgment upon him. But the ultimate example, I believe, is in Numbers 21. I've shared this with you many times, where the Israelites were murmuring and complaining in the wilderness. And then God brought serpents into the camp. You guys remember this? And he bit the people. And it says that Moses, God commanded Moses, he brought in a, a pole with a brass serpent on it. And Moses said, look to the serpent and you'll be healed. Look to that up at that pole and you'll be healed of these serpent bites. And if you did not follow the words of Moses, you would die. Now it's interesting and it seems weird that they would look at a, a, serpent, a pole with a serpent on it and be healed. But later in John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus that the serpent on the pole is him. That when we've been bitten by the serpent or the snake or sin, when sin has bitten us, we can follow the words of Moses, the law of Moses, the word of God, we can obey it, and we can look to the cross of Christ and be healed of our sin, or we can refuse to look unto it, and we can die in our sin. And so that, that bronze or that brass serpent on that brass pole was a picture of judgment, but also pointed again to that coming redemption that would come through our Savior. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Why would Jesus be depicted as a serpent? Because he became sin for us. Isn't that amazing? That God took all of his sin upon himself. He became sin for us. Verse 4 and 5. And he made a grate of bronze and a network for the altar under its rim, midway from the bottom. And he cast four rings for the four corners of the bronze grating as holders for the poles. If you look on the other side there, you can see it's the big box the burnt offering was put in. And I described this when we were going through chapter 27 as the first barbecue. And really that's what it was. I mean, what do barbecues look like, right? It's got a big grate on there, and they would take and they would burn these, these sacrifices unto the Lord. And the Bible says that it was a sweet-smelling aroma in His presence. So the fact that I like barbecues is good because God does too. Amen? And when I go out in my backyard and I smell some tri-tip, Forgive me, heavy sides, but when I, when I smell some tri-tip, I like it. It's good stuff, right? The Lord said, rise, kill, and eat. Well, when he, it says there's a sweet aroma in his presence. And when they were burning these, these uh, sacrifices unto the Lord, as the smoke was going up, it was sweet aroma in the presence of Almighty God. And again, it was, put, it was there that they would take these, these sacrifices and they would make these sacrifices unto the Lord. And again, it produced that sweet aroma. Now the Bible says that a life set apart to Christ, a life of love and sacrifice and devotion to Christ, produces a sweet aroma in His presence. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, my brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So we see again a picture of Jesus Christ, a picture of the cross, a picture of the judgment of, for what sin of all of mankind would do. And every time they made these sacrifices, they were pointing to that coming Messiah, the one who was yet to come, Jesus Christ. Verse 6 and 7. And he made the poles of acacia wood, and he overlaid them with bronze. And he put the poles into the rings of the sides of the altar with which he would bear it. He made the altar hollow with boards. This is so that the altar would be portable, that it would go with them wherever they went. And I love the fact that this sacrifice was available to everyone. You entered in and anyone who wanted to could come and make sacrifice. In Numbers chapter 4, I find this interesting, that when the altar was moved, they covered it with something. This picture of Christ, the only piece of furniture that was covered with what I'm about to tell you, it was covered with a purple linen, a purple curtain. Picture of Christ. Where else do we see something being clothed in purple? Who remembers? Jesus. Amen? Remember when he was taken before Pilate? Do you remember when they whipped him and they scourged him and they beat him? And they mocked him as the king of the Jews? What did they put upon him? A purple robe. And here this bronze altar, a picture of Christ, they would cover it in purple as they would move it around. And so a picture of the coming Messiah who too, as he was about to go to the cross, was mocked and clothed in purple. A picture of what had happened hundreds of years ago, again, pointing to Jesus. On, on top of the purple, they would put badger skins over it as they carried the altar around. And again, badger skins were common and ugly, in a sense, from the world's perspective. And the Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus, from the world's perspective, was nothing special to behold. He was of no great comeliness that people would admire him or adore him, the Bible says, or be attracted to him. Jesus was very common in appearance. But man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. It's who he was on the inside that transformed the world. And I find it interesting, again, that people look at Jesus in two ways. They either see him clothed in purple as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, Almighty God, the creator of the universe, the most important person who ever lived, and the person who, through him alone, we can be saved. Either he's the most important person in your life, or he's nothing special. He's either clothed in purple or he's clothed in badger skins, depending on how you see our Savior. The two thieves on the cross, remember them? One of them looked at the Lord and said, save us and yourself. And the other one said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There are those here tonight who say, you know, or in the world today that look at Jesus only as somebody who can give to them personally. You know, make my life easier. You know, Lord, I'll go to church if you'll bless me in the physical realm. Give me stuff, give me something. As we saw on Sunday, as the crowd came to the Lord and he told them, you must drink of my blood and eat of my body. Remember what happened? The people began by, first they complained, murmured and complained. Then they argued among themselves and finally they left and followed him no more. It's a hard word for people to hear that you must be born again. And to be born again, it doesn't just mean to know about Jesus. You must know him in a personal and an intimate way. He's got to be your best friend. Amen? He must come to live inside of you. You must drink of his blood and eat of his body, which means you must assimilate him into your life. He's not just someone out here who you know about on Sunday and Wednesday, but he's literally your best friend. He's literally what your life revolves around. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Either you know him in a personal, intimate way where nothing else in the world matters in comparison to him. Or you don't know him at all. 
And we see that the, the people said, this is a hard word. We were following you for the miracles. We were following you when you're raising people from the dead. We liked it when you fed us the, you know, the fish sandwiches out in the wilderness, Lord. That was great, you know. But, you know, the filet of fish was fun. But, Lord, drink your blood and eat your body. You mean, give my life totally to you. I'm not ready for that. And they walked away. And I promise you, here at Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz, I love you guys. And one of my prayers is that God will bring revival to, to Santa Cruz County and that it will start with the people in this room. Because we will be so in love with Jesus Christ that we're going to be contagious to the world around us. Amen? And not because we know about Jesus, but because we have an intimate and personal relationship with Him. That He is our King and our Lord and our Savior and our God. We won't be like that thief on the cross saying, you know, take us down from this cross. But we'll say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. We'll have a burning passion and a love for Him that supersedes everything else in our lives. Now notice in Exodus, I'm not going to go there, but at the end of this portion, He says to them, and make it as it was shown to you of the pattern on the mountain. He says, you make this bronze altar exactly the way that God showed it to you on the mountain. This is God speaking to Moses. And now Moses delivers the word to the people. And which word does he deliver? He delivers the word of God. He doesn't come and give his opinion. They don't form a committee and vote on what the bronze altar ought to look like. What do you think? Let's have a vote. Let's make some drawings. Hey, everybody come in with your own ideas. Let's make a committee over the committees and let's have a big vote. Let's do a search committee and find out. Let's go out and find some outside artists and have them bring in their ideas. And then let's spend the next five years voting on what the altar ought to look like. No, that's not what they did. They took God's word and they made it according to his word. Amen? And you know what? The authority in the church is not the wisdom of men. It's not the votes of men. It's not a democracy. It's a theocracy. Amen? And Jesus Christ alone is the head of the church, no man. And we're all here to serve him and to know him, and we follow his word alone. And so this right here, you want to know the bylaws of Calvary Chapel? This is it. Amen? Read the book. Don't wait for the movie. This is it right here. Open up the Bible. This is where God wants to speak to us. And he said, you make it according to what Moses had delivered unto you. Don't do it any other way. You do it the way that God has delivered it. You know what? When man gets in the way, it's a mess. Our pattern for the church today is God's pattern given to us in the Word. Not the opinions of men. Not, you know, denominational rules. Not the bylaws of the church. The sacrifice must only be according to God's plan and God's provision. He said, this is the sacrifice, this is the, the, the implement you will use, and this is how it's going to be done. Why? Because it points to Jesus. Amen? You start making a different altar, you got a different Savior. And that's what the world does today. Try to have different Saviors, different paths, different ways. There is no other way. There is only one way. There's only one truth. There's only one life. And it can only come through a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. He's our God and our Savior and our King. Verse 8. And it says, And he made the laver of bronze, its base of bronze, from the bronze mirrors of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. The bronze laver stood between, if you look on this here, it's right behind the altar. Right before you get into the holy place, there was a bronze laver. And a laver, just for a better word, is like a big basin. And in that basin, they would fill it up with water. And this basin was right after the, the priests were covered in blood, their hands covered in blood, their feet filthy from having made the sacrifice. They would go in before they entered that most holy place and they would have to cleanse themselves. Cleanse the blood from their hands, the dirt from their feet. 
and they would wash themselves before they entered into the, that most holy place. Now, as believers in Christ, the picture is very clear. That through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we are made clean. Amen? Only through that bronze altar, only through the shedding of blood, can there be the cleansing of sin. The blood must come first so we can be cleansed. And it's interesting that that laver is filled with water, but I love the fact that in the Bible, there's a, water is a picture of the Holy Spirit, living water, remember Jesus said that? But water is also a picture of the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 5 says to sanctify your home by the washing of the water of the Word of God. What cleanses you and I today? We've been cleansed, okay? We've been made clean through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We're holy, not because of our good works, but because of His work upon the cross. But what cleanses us today? What cleanses my home? What cleanses my marriage? What cleanses my walk with God? What helps me to be sanctified, that sanctification process? I don't want to get into a bunch of big words because I don't like to do that, but as Christians... When we are born again, we are justified. Easy way to remember that, it's just as if you've never sinned. Amen? You've been justified. Then after you're justified, until you die, you go through what is called a sanctification process. Being set apart, being conformed more into the image of God. As Christians, Christianity is like a greased pole. You're either climbing up or sliding down. Amen? There's no such thing as a stagnant walk with God. You're either growing in the Lord or you're falling away from Him. And that water is a representation of God's Word. And that's why every time you come to Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz, I promise you the Word of God is going to be taught here. Why? Because it's the Word of God that transforms lives. It's not programs. It's not entertainment. It's God's Word. It's scary to me that you go to churches today and nobody has a Bible. Something's wrong. That's like going, that's like going into a, you know, a smorgasbord with no plates and no utensils. What's up with that? You can't eat, right? Why would you come to church without the Bible, without the Word of God? So if you came tonight without a Bible, I love you anyway. Take a Bible home with you. If you don't have one, please, we want you to have God's Word. We want you to feed on it more than once a week. So it speaks, again, of, of that cleansing. And the laver, again, was made of brass mirrors. I find that interesting, too, because in James chapter 1, it says the mirror is a picture of what? What does it say? It's the Word of God. So the water in the basin is a picture of the Word, and the mirrors in the basin are a picture of the Word. Because what does the Word do? Why would the Word be a mirror? What does it do? It reveals our sin. Amen? When you look at the Word, what do you see? Oh, I'm a sinner. Whoops. Oh, I'm a sinner. Right? I mean, I can say, I'm not a sinner. And I love it when people, you know, especially on airplanes or different places, I'll be talking to people about the Lord, and they'll try to tell me they're not a sinner. Oh, really? That's interesting. Okay. Well, let's go through the Ten Commandments. Ever heard of them? And you start going through them, and before you get through it, you realize you've broken them all. Sinner, right? And so what the Word of God does is it reveals our sin. And these mirrors, when they would look through that water and they would take their hands and rinse the blood off, they would see their own reflection. So through the blood, they would see their reflection. Through the Word, they would see their reflection, that they would see that they were sinners in desperate need of a Savior. But I love the fact that the women gave up their mirrors, they gave up the thing that illuminated their glory. The thing that they would cast their eyes into to see themselves. And instead they gave it up so it would be used for God's glory and His ministry. Amen? They took what could have been used for them and used it for God. And you know what? That's a hard lesson for us to learn because we're selfish people by nature. Amen? Am I the only selfish one here? Raise your hand. Okay. I'm, all, I'm always on my mind. It's amazing how that works, right? I'm always thinking about me. How does this impact me? Right? I mean, and that's how we can be. And they took those mirrors and instead they used them for the glory of God. And I think it's interesting, you know, 
if we took the amount of time that we pray on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, and we compared it to the amount of time we stood looking in the mirror getting ready for church, I would hope that the prayer time is bigger than the mirror time. Amen? I hope we're praying more than we're primping. Amen? You know, I mean, but we, we do. We make sure we look good on the outside, but we should be praying that God would move mightily here. By the way, effective April 1st, we will, anybody who wants to, we're going to have the church office open every single morning for prayer. And we're going to start praying, because the Bible says, you shall make my Father's house a house of prayer. You want to see God move, pray. Amen? Every time God does supernatural things, people are praying. 8.30 to 9.30, every Sunday morning in that room right over there, we're going to be praying. Why? Because we need to pray to seek God's face. Prayer doesn't change God's mind. It changes our hearts. We want to see revival. Let's spend some time on our knees. Amen? And so we see that the, this bronze laver was a reflection of God's Word, and it opened their eyes to see that their sinfulness. And that cleansing, the cleansing of their hands would be the cleansing of their actions. They cleansed their feet, the cleansing of their walk. Amen? We walked through a dirty world. We need to be in the Word that our walk would be cleansed. Amen? We put our hands to things that we shouldn't, and we need our hands to be cleansed. We'll move on to the court of the tabernacle, verses 9 through 20. I'm just going to read through this. And he made the court on the south side. The hangings of the court were of fine woven linen, 100 cubits long. That's 150 feet. There were 20 pillars for them, 20 bronze sockets, picture of judgment, and the hooks of the pillars in their hands were silver. Bronze, judgment, silver, redemption. Remember when Jesus was betrayed, what did they pay for him? 30 pieces of what? Silver. When you purchased a slave, or you, you bought someone out of a slavery contract, what did you pay for them? Silver. So we see both the, the judgment of bronze and the redemption of silver. Verse 11. On the north side, the hangings were 100 cubits long, with 20 pillars, and their 20 bronze sockets, and the hooks on the pillars, and their bands were silver. Now I know why I can't see. Where are my glasses? I'm sitting there going, man, I can't read. Am I getting old right, right overnight here or what? Well, I'm just going gonna, gonna to have to hold this up. I'm like, man, I'm struggling reading this tonight. I've got no glasses. And on the west side, there were hangings of 50 cubits with 10 pillars and 10 sockets. The hooks of the pillars and the bands were silver. For the east side, the hangings were 50 cubits. The hangings on one side were 15 cubits long with their three pillars and their three sockets. And the same for the other side of the court gate. On this side, there are hangings of 15 cubits with three pillars and their three sockets. All the hangings of the court, all around, were fine woven linen. And the sockets for the pillars were bronze. And the hooks for the pillars and their hands were silver. And they overlaid the capitals with silver. And the pillars of the court had hands of silver. What's that? Uh, I think I, I had them over here earlier, so don't worry about it. We're almost done. God's good. Lord, help me with my sight. Okay. He answers those kind of prayers. Now, so what was separating sinful man from an opportunity to know holy God? When we look back again on this right here, we would see that this outer tabernacle is what we're talking about. These walls going all the way around. It's 150 feet this way, 75 feet this way. And the only way this would separate man from entering into a place of sacrifice and then entering into a, a relationship with holy God. And the separation, the bronze, would be, again, a picture of God's judgment, and the silver was a picture of redemption, an opportunity to come into that most holy place. And so we see here that that separation is there, and these, these, that fine woven linen was there. Now, the woven linen was white. 
And so as people would walk by, they would see this beautiful white linen. And they would see it held together by bronze and by silver. And they would walk by, and they could see, because it was only seven and a half feet tall, this outer court. And above it, inside, they could see the most holy place, because it was 15 feet tall. And when they would look through and see it, they would see it covered in badger skins. And it didn't look like anything spectacular to them. But this outer court separated sinful man from coming into a place of sacrifice. Now, there, as this, this linen went all the way around, there was only one spot where people could enter in to make sacrifice. So where was that spot? How could they get in to make sacrifice? Look at verse 18. The screen for the gate of the court was woven with blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. The length was 20 cubits. Its height, along with its width, was 5 cubits, corresponding to the hangings of the court. So this gate that was out, this door, this right here, if you've got your thing, right here where they would enter in, you see it a little bit different color here. It's the exact same colors and makeup of what? Who remembers? Where else have we seen those colors? Blue and white and scarlet. Where else have we seen it? And purple. Where else? Who remembers? The veil. The veil that went into the Holy of Holies. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 that the veil is His what? It's His flesh. The flesh of Christ is the veil. Remember when Jesus died on the cross when he was de- when, during His crucifixion? What happened to the veil? It was torn in two from top to bottom that we might enter that most holy place. And so the veil is His flesh. And so only through his, the tearing of his flesh was the veil torn that we might enter that most holy place. But here we see, even before we can come before the bronze altar, we come before that very same material, a picture, once again, of Christ. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that he is the door to the sheepfold. Amen? He is the door. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. The only way we can enter in to a place of sacrifice is through Jesus Christ. You can't, if you sacrifice to Muhammad, you're burning stuff to a dead guy. Amen? You know, if you got a little Buddha out in, your front, in front of your restaurant and you're putting apples on it, okay, whatever, it's not doing you any good. Amen? I mean, you're putting, you're putting apples on a statue. You, if you try to get there any other way, if you try to ohm your way in, right? Ohm, that, that's not going to help, right? Because there's only one door. There's only one gate. There's only one way we can come to a place of sacrifice, and it's through Jesus Christ alone. And so we see here that it says that the gate was made of those same colors. And just real quickly, the blue represents his deity, the purple his royalty, the scarlet or the red, it's where the the word toloth, his sacrifice, and the fine woven linen is a picture of his righteousness. So who is this a picture of? It's Jesus. But I find this also interesting. When he was hanging on the cross, blue, black and blue, Jesus had been beaten and bruised. Remember that? The Bible says that. What about the scarlet? Shed blood running down his back. And we also know that from his scourging, the Bible says that his muscles and his bones were exposed. So you saw the purple and the blue and the red and even the white of his bones as he hung on the cross. And you know what? How did they put the veil up in front of the most holy of holies? What did they do? They hung it on pillars. Wooden pillars. A picture of the cross. What a clear picture of Jesus Christ. Man, I love the tabernacle. How can you not see Jesus? It is so clear. Every piece of furniture, everything in it points to the Messiah. And again, you know what this is? It's prophecy. 
It's prophetically foretelling who the Messiah would be. And Jesus fulfills every single bit of it. It's the only way into the courtyard is through Jesus. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And I am the door, John 10, 9. By me, if any man enters, he shall be saved. So the gate into the courtyard, the place of sacrifice, there was, a, there was that gate there made of the same material. The door into the holy place where you, he would be the light of the world for service and ministry, the very same material. The veil into the holy of holies where you can behold the Shekinah glory of Almighty God and be in his presence, the very same material. Because only through Jesus can there be salvation. Only through Jesus can there be ministry. Only through Jesus can there be worship. Amen? We can't worship apart from Christ. We cannot pray apart from Christ. Why do we pray in Jesus' name? Because if you prayed in Muhammad's name, waste of time. You're yelling down a well. Amen? Why? Because Jesus Christ alone paid the price and allows sinful man to enter to the presence of holy God. And so Jesus is the one that links us back to the Father. There can be no salvation, no ministry, no worship apart from Jesus Christ and the empowering of His Holy Spirit. Verse 19 and 20. And there were four pillars with their four sockets of bronze, their hooks were silver, an overlay of the capitals of their bands was silver, and all the pegs of the tabernacle and the court all around were bronze. Again, silver, a picture of redemption, bronze, a picture of judgment. Let's finish up by looking at the materials themselves. We're almost done here. Verse 21. This is the inventory of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony, which was counted according to the commandments of Moses. For the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithamar, son of Aaron, the priest. Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And with him was Ahuliab, the son of Ahesamach, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer, a weaver of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and a fine linen. Now he's about to list all the materials that were necessary to make the tabernacle. But look what he lists first. The first thing he lists is people. Three people. He first lists the one of the priestly line. The Levites would later be the priestly line, as we'll see in Numbers. And of the priestly line, those who administer to the Lord, they're listed first. Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the youngest son of Aaron. Then Bezalel, then Aholiab. Now we talked about this before, that, that Bezalel's name means shadow of God. We know this guy was a master craftsman. That he was called by God, he was anointed by God, he was used mightily by God. And every gift that he had came from God, but he was willing to use the gifts God had given him that God would be glorified. So before they talk about the gold, before they talk about the silver, before they talk about the materials, they talk about the men or the people. You know what? Where God guides, God provides. Amen? And when God moves, I believe that he works in the heart of people first. Before anybody ever you know, tithe to Calvary Santa Cruz, before anybody ever gave of their time, God put a call on my heart to come. And He put a call on many of your hearts to come and to help and to hold up my hands, but mainly to, to worship and serve the Lord. And God calls men and women first. And then after He calls the men and women, the proof of His calling is that where God guides, God provides. That why, that's why it fries me when you hear guys on the radio begging for money. If you don't give us the money by Friday, we're off the air. Go off the air, please quickly, right? I mean, because where God guides, God provides. And we don't have to beg, and we don't have to put people in a corner and beat them up till they give, and we don't have to pass the offering plate nine times, right? We don't have an offering plate here for that very reason. The reason we don't do it is because 
If God wants it to happen, then God will make it happen and He'll provide for it to happen. He'll begin in the hearts of the people to move them, and then He will provide so that those things can happen. Amen? Where God guides, God provides. God moves in the hearts of men. And so we see here the men that He called first. Aholiab was a man who was an engraver, a designer, and his name means the tent of the Father. And I love that because he worked on the tent of the Father. So even before he was born, God had a plan for his life. And before you were born, God had a plan for your life. Every one of you in the room tonight, God saved you and called you and desires to use you for his glory. He's given you supernatural spiritual gifts. He didn't save us to be pew potatoes. Amen. He saved us because he wants to use us for his kingdom. And you know what? He's not looking for ability but availability. He just wants people to say, Lord, I, I want to be used. And he'll answer that prayer every time. No one ever says, Lord, use me, and God doesn't use them. And I believe that if you're called to Calvary Santa Cruz, and you're here, so you must be, if you're called to Santa Cruz, here's the thing, guys, God brought you here to use you. And I, my heart and my passion and my desire is to give you every opportunity to use the gifts you have. I love giving ministry away. Love it. Love to just, here, do it. Oh, great. Come on. Let's, and don't come up and suggest stuff to me because I'll let you do it. I mean, I will, right? Because where God guides, God provides, and there's a burden. And when Moses called the people, I love the fact that he didn't beat them up. He called them in and said, here's the need, and you go home and pray about it. And the people came and gave to the Lord as the Spirit moved in their heart. And they gave willingly. They didn't give because they were manipulated. They didn't give because someone made them feel guilty. Or someone made them feel like they're not going to heaven if they don't give. You guys, we give not to earn God's favor. We give out of our love for Him in an obedient response to His love and His grace. Amen? If you give for any other reason, don't give. God loves a cheerful giver. The word there is hilarion, where we get the word hilarity. God loves a hilarious giver. Yes! Get to give, right? If that can't be your heart, then don't. Because where God guides, God provides, and God will take care of it. And God doesn't need your money. He's got the cattle on a thousand hills. The only thing we miss out on when we don't give is we, we miss out ourselves, I believe. Because what happens is if we're not giving, we're saying that our stuff is more important than God. And again, don't be manipulated into giving. I'm just telling you that in my own life, when I don't give, it's a lack of faith. I'm saying, Lord, I, and I'm not talking about give so God will give you back. I'm not talking about seed money. That's noise. That's trash. It makes me sick. Give, give, give your seed. Plant your seed. And I, oh, stop it. How come those guys aren't planting those seeds? You ever notice that? It's always, send your $1,000 to me, and then God will bless you. Right? Have you ever noticed that? Those guys are never saying, the next 5,000 people to call, and we're going to send you $1,000 because we want to plant a seed in you that God might bless us. It never happens that way. Right? But that's the way, you know what? We should give with a cheerful heart, never out of manipulation, and never to try to earn God's favor. And let me just read the, all the stuff that was in here. All the gold that was used in all the work of the holy place, this is the gold of the offering, was 29 talents. A talent weighs 75 pounds. And 730 shekels according to the the shekel of the sanctuary. And the silver from those were numbered of the congregation was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A becca for each man, that is a half shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary, for everyone included in the numbering from the 20 years old and above for 603,050 men. And from the hundred of talents of silver were cast the sockets of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil. One hundred sockets from the hundred talents. One talent from each socket. 
Then from the 1,775 shekels, he made hooks for the pillars, overlaid them, overlaid their capitals, and made bands for them. The offering of bronze was 75 talents and 2,400 shekels. And with it he made sockets for the door of the tabernacle of the meeting of the bronze, alt- of the bronze altar. And the bronze grating for it and all the utensils for the altar. The sockets for the court all around the bases of the court gate all the pegs of the tabernacle and all the pegs of the court all around. Remember the pegs held the boards in place. The board's a picture of fellowship, how we need to be knit together to build that tabernacle, that sanctuary. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But this is interesting to me. When you add all this up, I'm a math guy, so I like to do that. You have over a ton of gold, over 2,000 pounds, over four tons of silver, and about two and a half tons of bronze. The value today would be in the millions and millions and millions of dollars. What's also interesting to me is in back in verse 26, it says there that they gave a free will offering. Now this comes, and we'll see this later, and that they were called in Numbers chapter 1, that they called them in by tribe, and every person was to give what they called a sanctuary tax even. They gave it for the sanctuary, for service to the Lord. And every man was supposed to give half a shekel. And everybody paid the same amount. Now, people have abused things like that today to say that we somehow need to give to the church to earn God's favor. But that's not what this is a picture of at all. It was called a ransom offering. And it was another reminder of the bondage of mankind. And it illustrates that we cannot, not that we can buy our salvation, but that our salvation had to be purchased. How many of you know that salvation is a free gift, but it was not cheap? Amen? You determine the value of something of what someone's willing to pay for it. How valuable are you to God? This is how valuable you are to God. When the world says you're of no value, remember the cross. Remember what was paid for you. He, he, he loves you so much. But they gave this tax as a way of remembering or pointing to the fact that they needed to be redeemed. It was always silver, and they gave it. Now remember later that they came to the Lord and asked Him if He paid the tax. Remember that? And He's with Peter. They called it a temple tax. And what did He do? He told Peter to go out and cast his rod into the, and pull the fish out and take the coin out of its mouth. And he went and paid the temple tax. You guys remember that story out of Matthew 17? And so God wants to do great things with us, but we must all be available. And we must all say, Lord, I want to be used by you because this is interesting to me. It says in the verse 26 that there were 603,550 men that paid the temple tax. And when you go to Numbers chapter 1, guess how many men there were in the entire camp above the age of 20? 603,550 men. That means every single man gave. What would happen if every single one of us who love the Lord would give? And I'm not just talking about our finances. I'm talking about of our time. I'm talking about of our resources. I'm talking about of the gifts that God has given us and our finances too. Can you imagine if we just all gave to the Lord radically? What would God do? What did He do here? The Shekinah glory of God dwelt in their presence. So the tabernacle was a place of sacrifice, a place of restoration, a place of ministry, and a place of intimacy with God if the worship team will come on up. So I want to say this again about Jesus. What have we seen in the tabernacle so far? He's the door. When you come into the tabernacle, the first thing you must do is go through the door. The door was blue and purple and scarlet and white, and it was a picture of Jesus. You get to the bronze altar, the place of sacrifice, Who's the Lamb of God? Who's the ultimate sacrifice? It's Jesus Christ. You come to that bronze laver, that place of cleansing. Who is it that has cleansed us from all of our sin? It's Jesus Christ. You came yet to another curtain 
Again, blue and purple and white and red, a picture of Jesus Christ. You walk into that holy place, and what do you see in the holy place? The golden lampstand. Who's the light of the world? Jesus Christ. You turn to your right, you see the table of showbread. Who's the bread of life? Jesus Christ. You move to the back of that holy place, and you see the altar of incense. Who is it that intercedes on our behalf 24-7? Who is it that intercedes on our behalf, seated at the right hand of the Father? Jesus Christ. You go into the, through the veil, a picture of, again, His flesh. It's Jesus Christ. You go into the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant had the angels on both sides and the mercy seat on top. Who is it that brings mercy to us, deserving of death because of the law that's in the Ark of the Covenant? Who brings that mercy? Jesus Christ. And you know what's awesome to me? Is they sprinkled the blood on that mercy seat, and when they went into the tomb on Resurrection Sunday, and they looked into the tomb, what did they see? They saw an angel at the foot and an angel at the head of where Jesus had been, and they saw blood in the middle where his blood-stained clothes had been, and the ark was a picture of the fact that he was resurrected from the dead. And so everything you see in the tabernacle, it's Jesus, 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 Jesus. And if, we, if you don't hear anything else tonight, there's only one way we can get to heaven, you guys. Amen? And when people come and try to tell you there's many other gods, there's many other paths, there's many other ways, you know what? It's not a path up a mountain that we all try to, to, to strive up. And it, it all goes in different directions. As long as we get there, we're okay. It's not some mountain that you and I trudge up to get to God. It's a straight down sheer cliff. And we can't climb up it. And man cannot achieve it. It wasn't man going up some path to get to God. It was Almighty God in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, reaching down to sinful man and suffering on the cross so we might have eternal life. We don't achieve it by traveling some path. We simply receive it by Him reaching out through His shed blood and accepting what He did for us on the cross. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You again for Your Word and we thank You for sending Your Son. We thank You, Lord, for this clear picture in Your tabernacle. Lord, it's all about you. And Lord, I thank you that we are called Christians. Father God, that we are your followers, Lord, that we can be identified with you. I pray, Lord, we would not be ashamed of you or of your name. But Lord, we would just be blessed that we know you, Lord. And we would be so in love with you, we'd be contagious to the world around us. So Lord, we just ask, Lord, you would inhabit our praises right now. Father, we would just draw near to you as we lift up our voices. And Father, I pray, Lord, that we would walk in the power of your spirit. We just thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, let's close, stand and close the worship song.